0: Welcome to Destination Healthcare, the podcast to learn about your favorite healthcare professionals. They're going to be sharing their advice, their insight and the lessons that they've learned along their journey with you. So our first guest is Dr. Tommy Martin. Dr. Tommy Martin is a medical doctor who is doing his residency in internal medicine and pediatrics, pediatrics in Little Rock, Arkansas. He grew up in a small town in southern Missouri. They went to undergrad at Kansas Wesleyan University to play football. Graduated in three years with a bachelor in biomedical chemistry. He attended St. George University for medical school and couples matched with his wife at the University of Arkansas. He is passionate about health, wellness, and fitness, which led him to start a personal training business, Strong Docs. He also completed an Ironman during intern year of residency. Wow. He is an active vlogger who updates his followers on all things about medical school, fitness, and his faith through Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Lastly, his goals in medicine currently are to become a combined med-peds-hospitalist while doing overseas mission work. So, Dr. Tommy Martin, how are you?
1: Hey, I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Of course.
0: So, uh, just to get to know you a little bit, you grew up in Missouri in a small town in southern Missouri. What was that experience like growing up?
1: Yeah, it was incredible. You know, it's a town, Thayer, Missouri, spelled T-H-A-Y-E-R. It's on the state line of Arkansas. It's a town of about 2,000 people. Uh, We we don't really have any big cities around us. The closest big city would be about an hour and a half away or so, and that's still not that big of a city. So tiny high school, I graduated with a total of 55 other students in my graduating class. Uh, You know, it was a small town life. I absolutely loved it.
0: Did you always know that you wanted to pursue medicine, or when did you learn that?
1: You know not initially, through most of my years in high school, I thought I wanted to be a teacher and a coach. I was pretty dead set on coaching football, basketball, baseball, living the nice life um, as a teacher, not saying that they don 't have to work crazy hard and deal with you know tons of students and stuff, but I was just looking forward to having the summers off to coach and to do things like that. Uh, that kind of changed my senior year of high school. Um, I then decided I wanted to become a doctor, and that came about through. Um, kind of a long story, but to give you a short synopsis was uh, when I was younger, about 12 or 14, um, I had a lady uh, who had prophesied over me and told me that she thought it was God's plans for me to become a doctor. I didn't really know this woman. She had me recorded on my phone. Um, I forgot all about her. thought she was kind of crazy anyway. Um went on a mission trip my senior year of high school. On that mission trip, a pastor prophesied the same thing over me. When I went back home, my uncle had bought me a graduation gift, which was a laptop. Transferred all this old information onto my new laptop. Um, and then when I did that, I saw an audio file from that woman that I'd forgot all about and then played it and the two, like coincided. I was like, Holy cow, I believe this is God's plan for me. And, you know, throughout the years, it just kind of lined up that it lined up perfectly with my passions and my passion to help people and to serve people and things like that. So that was kind of like the initial decision to become a doctor.
0: That's one of the coolest stories I've heard for that question. <laughs> I feel like people ask, especially in interviews and in medical school interviews, why do you want to be a doctor? That answer is incredible.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you. And you know that's something I get asked a lot about is if I give that answer on the interview trail, like when you're going into residency or for medical school, because people think that your faith has to be a completely separate thing and that you really shouldn't bring it up on your application or on your interviews. And I don't necessarily believe that at all. And the reason being is some programs may not like it. Some may like it. You never know. Um, But the thing is about being able to be open about your faith, respect other people's faith, um, and just be open about who you are. And so I knew that I wanted a program to accept me for who I am in my entirety. And I, if I leave out an extremely vital part of my journey and about who I am, then they probably, um, if they wouldn't want that type of person, they probably wouldn't want me there once I get there. And so I'm all about being completely 100% open and honest um, and being respectful about all religions and all faiths. And I think that comes with being able to share your own in a respectful way.
0: Absolutely. I think authenticity is so important when you're trying to apply to medical school, apply to residency. If you're trying to just be the cookie cutter applicant and not expressing who you actually are, it can actually hurt you. So I I also advise people if whatever your passion is in life, if you are very passionate about running and you run marathons, write that in your personal statement, talk about that in the interview, whatever it is that you are passionate about and that uh, you believe, I, I totally agree. You should be authentic uh, and so I, I love that.
1: Yeah. I, and, you know, just to touch on that, I couldn't agree more. And just to elaborate a little bit on that and why I think that's so important is passion is attractive. You know, when people see your face light up and everything about you just get like energized when you're talking about a subject that is attractive no matter what it is, you know, and so people are drawn to uh, passion. And so I think on your interviews and when you're getting ready for your applications, talk about and write about what you're most passionate about and the things you've done in those areas.
0: Absolutely. So you said that you you were passionate about sports. You were thinking maybe you were going to go into teaching, but then you did end up going to Kansas to play college football, correct?
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. So
0: what was that experience like balancing playing football in college and being pre-med?
1: Yeah, it was definitely challenging. And I absolutely loved my experience at Kansas Wesleyan. I played football there for three years. uh, But with that, you know, we worked out crazy amount of hours, uh, had a lot of practices, taking a lot of credits. And then I also worked two to three jobs on top of that. And so it was extremely challenging. um, But I believe I was able to get through it um, through like having a really, really good schedule. Um, and then also I think the lessons you learn in football and working out and things of that nature kind of help with characteristics that you need to succeed in medicine. And so I think even though that they are at, um, kind of like opposing each other in terms of time requirements and asking a lot of you, they also bene- benefit each other greatly by the, um, characteristics they help you develop.
0: Absolutely. So I think people ask me all the time, uh, you know, I'm a student athlete, My GPA isn't very great or my MCAT score is very great because I'm spending, you know, 50 hours a week training to, to, you know, for track and field football, what have you. Mm -hmm. And uh, from my point of view, admissions committees love student athletes because you're able to balance, you know, playing at the highest level with your, with your school plus extracurricular volunteer, all the other things you need. Uh, for medical school and beyond. And it must train you to be an expert in time management.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And something I would caution listeners on is, um, and I agree completely with what you're saying about uh, program directors and advisors really liking you know student athletes. And so just to touch on that is on my residency interview trail, I actually received an interview solely because I played college football. Wow. And so um, on my interview trail, the advisor there said, uh, Tommy, you want to know why I decided to interview you? I was like, um, sure. <laughs> you know, I, was, I hope there was a lot in my application that made you want to. But he said, honestly, the deciding factor was that you played college football, and I knew that if you did that, it had to create in you a lot of characteristics that'll help you with medicine. And so I agree with that. But with that, do not let it sacrifice your MCAT score or your GPA to a detrimental point where it'll be very hard to return from. And so. It is very important that you find that balance, learn time management, and still be able to keep up with your grades and your MCAT score.
0: Agreed. So let's touch on the MCAT score, something I love about you. And for those of you that follow Dr. Tommy Martin on TikTok, he's very authentic, shares the real deal, Uh, his scores, his GPA, his journey. He's not faking anything. There are people out there that fake this perfect score and perfect college experience Tommy Martin is not one of those people who expresses things exactly how they happened. And you put out a video a while back with your uh, MCAT score. And you had mentioned that it wasn't as high as you had hoped for yet. You got into medical school. And so I think a lot of people, they maybe get low MCAT scores or, you know, scores that they uh, were obviously shooting higher for, and they may give up and they may stop pursuing their dream because of the MCAT. I'd love to hear uh, your point of view as someone that scored lower than you anticipated.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I I don't mind even to share my score with the listeners. And so a little bit of background. I did very well in college. I worked my butt off, studied crazy long hours, and was able to graduate with a GPA of 3.89 with a bachelor's in biomedical chemistry. Um, with that, I, like I said, I'd studied really hard and I did very well on my exams. And so I assumed I would do well on the MCAT. I was very naive and ignorant in the fact, not knowing what kind of exam the MCAT was and did that without studying. And so with that on the MCAT, I scored a 17 on the old scoring system, which I think on the new scoring system is equivalent to a 486. Uh, And if you guys know anything about that score, that is very, very low and uh, would be a lot of people would say would be like a death sentence to getting into medical school. And so with that, I decided that, well, actually I had already applied to medical schools um, at the time I had gotten my MCAT score and then it was just sent to those schools. And so there was like a very slim chance of me getting into medical school with that Uh, MCAT score. And I decided to apply to a Caribbean medical school. uh, That was St. George's University that came about through my aunt who, um, she's a doctor and she, her boss went to St. George's University and he kind of told me I should. And then through a lot of prayer, I decided that I would apply. Um, I got accepted into St. George's and even with that MCAT score, their average for MCAT, I want to say at that time, uh, was like a twenty-eight. Uh, I don't know what that is on the new scoring system, Five seven, maybe so like a five Oh seven. And I mean, look up those numbers to make sure, but so my MCAT score was still extremely low to even go to St. George university. And I got accepted there. Um, I applied in December and left there and went there in January. And so just some advice for pre-med students that may have a lower GPA or a lower MCAT score. These scores do not define you. Okay. Not at all. Like they are just a small blip in your application. And that's not saying that you shouldn't try hard. That's not to say that you shouldn't study. Um, Definitely do not do what I do. Like work your butt off, do the best you can. But if you get that low score, do not let the score define you by any means. You could still, even with a lower GPA or a lower MCAT score, you could still pursue this journey and persevere by trying to get into a US school um, and become an MD that way, go to a Caribbean medical school or even a DO school. Now the journey may look different going in each each of those avenues and may come with its own struggles. But if it's truly your dream to become a doctor, Do not let these scores define you. Do not give up and you can still make it happen.
0: Agreed. So what kept you going during that time when, you know, you had had dreams of being a doctor, you had a great GPA, student athlete, you expected your MCAT score to be high because you had done well in your classes, you get that score. First off, what was that feeling like getting that score? And then what kept you going? And, uh, (laughs) you know, how did you deal with that?
1: Yeah. So it's funny you ask that. So after I took the MCAT, like when I walked out of the exam, I called my mom and dad. It was like, guys, that test, like, I think I rocked it. Like, I think that test went so well. And then when I received this score back, I was crushed. For one, I was the type of kid that in elementary school, if I didn't make 100%, I was mad. Like, I was upset. Like, I was, you know, a perfectionist. Like, I always wanted, like, if it wasn't perfect, then I failed, you know? And so, and I definitely learned against that later on. But so, to get that score in the MCAT was... Crushing! I just could not even believe it, and so at that time is when I decided, or like that, I went through a lot, a lot of prayer, and really is when I realized that I was not defined by a score, um, that that score does not hold my destiny, uh, that my future is in God's hands, in God's hands alone, and so once I put my trust in Him, and. Reflected back on Scripture and the plans that He has for me, it changed my whole mindset. And so, some scriptures that I always fall back on, especially when I'm going through struggles and obstacles. And this is not necessarily when when it's writing in the Scripture; it's not necessarily applying to medical school. Um, but I do think we could utilize the Scripture in that way. And it's that um, Romans eight eighteen says that our current sufferings will never be compared with the glory revealed within. Okay, and so um, that's one Scripture, and then there's another one I'll talk about in a second. But that just Kind of like gave me motivation that look this suffering and this hardship of failing the MCAT that's not going to be compared the the pain I feel right now the discouragement I feel right now is not going to compare when I endure through this and become a doctor or it's not going to compare when I endure through this and have the privilege of serving at the bedside of a patient and then the other scripture that helps me with this is um, rejoice in all sufferings knowing that they will produce in you perseverance endurance character and hope so. Using that hardship and saying, "No, I know that God is going to use this hardship, even though I don't understand it. I cannot fathom why I scored that low. I know that God is going to use this to help produce in me perseverance, endurance, and hope." And so, using those scriptures and trusting in God's plan for me definitely helped me get through it. So, I think my faith was a huge aspect in that.
0: Gotcha. So, you know, I took the MCAT twice. I uh, I know the struggles of getting a score that's not what you expected. And mm-hmm. I remember, the, I remember too, walking out of that exam, being like, "I killed that! Let's go!" <laughs> and uh,
1: yeah.
0: it is a humbling experience receiving a score that you know. You, I'm sure, you had taken practice tests, and you were very prepared for a much higher score. I know the feeling, and yeah. I, I applaud you for sticking with it. Because look at you now—you know, you are a resident physician—and I think so many people. Uh, they, they see you and no one is thinking, hmm, he might've got a 17 on the MCAT. <laughs> no, no one thinks that now. You have, right. it, it's just so great to see someone that you know, got that score, opens up about it for millions of people on on TikTok and on podcasts like this and, and got to where you are now and is continuing to excel. And so I think that's something that I really want the listeners to, to hear is that a score doesn't define you, like Tommy said, and you can overcome any obstacle, whether it's GPA, MCAT, you know, you weren't able to shadow because of the coronavirus, you had a death in the family, the the list goes on and on. You are going to be able to overcome anything in your application if you work at it and, and you're patient and you're resourceful.
1: Yeah, definitely. And something that I wanted to touch on, um, just because I give like my motivation, how I was able to get through those hard times. And I know a lot of our listeners may not be of the same faith as me or may not have any faith at all. And so even though I give you guys a lot of scripture from the Bible, just know that you could still apply those. Even if you're not necessarily a Christian, you could still apply a lot of these same things to your everyday life and know that hardships, regardless of what your faith is, hardships help Uh, refine you. Um, They help make you stronger. They help with all these characteristics that are going to make you an incredible physician. So even though you're going through these hardships and it may feel like your life is ending because you failed the MCAT or you just didn't do well or, you know, whatever, you failed an exam, whatever it may be, just know that if you persevere and if you endure through this, it is going to make you stronger, smarter, and help your application in the long run. So rejoice in it. Do not give up and keep pushing on.
0: And there really is beauty in the struggle because now I look Amen. back at those times and I'm like, damn, I was pretty strong and I, <laughs> I kept it going. I kept a smile yeah. on my face despite life just throwing rocks at me. I just kept going. And I think now I, I'm just so happy that I didn't give up because I can't imagine how I would feel looking back if I had given up and I looked back and just said, hmm, maybe I should have kept going one more time.
1: Right. And it makes the journey that much sweeter, right? Like there's a poem by Emily Dickinson that I really like. Uh, It's called Success is uh, Counting Sweetest to Those Who Near Succeed. So that's just meaning that like you don't really treasure the true value of success unless you failed, unless you've, you know, you've had to really work the journey to get there. And so, you know, looking back on it now, like the privilege of being a doctor means so much to me and it is so, so very sweet. And a lot of that's through the hurdles and obstacles I had to fight to get here.
0: Oh, yeah. So let's talk about medical school at St. George. I want to talk about what that experience is like because I've obviously heard things, I've talked to people from, from what I've heard there. Yeah. The class sizes start off pretty large. And uh, so I, you know, I don't want to spoil anything. Can you kind of tell us what that was like um, going to medical school there?
1: Yeah, for sure. And so, disclaimer I am biased. Um, I met my wife there. I had an incredible experience. It was probably two of the best years of my life. And so a lot of the things I'm going to talk about are positive because I had such a great experience there. But so at St. George's, the average class size is large. Uh, it could be anywhere from 800 to 1,000 students. Yeah. And that's, um, that's like a January class and an August class. So the August class is usually around 1,000 students. And then the following January class is around 800 Okay. And those two classes actually end up graduating together. So my wife and I, I was January class. She was August class. And then we graduated together. So a total would be about 2000 students. And then when we graduated, we graduated with, I think, 1100. Okay. And so there's a great question. What happened with those 900? There's a lot of different things that could happen. And so I'm not going to um, sugarcoat it. Going to a Caribbean medical school is very challenging. There's a lot of students there. If you don't make an effort to seek out help, to try to know your professors, things like that, you very easily could get lost in the system. Um, but if you take the initiative and seek it out, you won't. Like at St. George's, I felt like I had endless amounts of help, but that's because I looked for it. I went out and met every single professor day one I when I needed help and learning how to study. I got help to learn how to study. And so there you do two years of basic sciences on the Island, doing all your bookwork in those large class sizes. Um, they do have a lot of small groups. So then you break out into smaller groups during your lab sessions, anywhere from eight to 12 students. So that makes it a lot more, uh, it doesn't make you feel like, you know, you're in this huge crowd of people. And so that helps out a lot as well. They have tons of tutoring, um, sessions. A lot of them are led by upper level students. Um, they also have, uh, like a learning strategist that I met with frequently until I learned how to, the best ways that I learned how to study and how to take exams. Uh, So the way that it was set up there, um, they've changed their system. So it might, this is outdated. But when I was there, you had three exams. Uh, You had an exam like six weeks or eight weeks after you got there, just to kind of see if you're learning and on the right track. And then you had a midterm and a final, and that made up the majority of your grades. And so that could be very challenging and stressful as well. Um, They're on the island. You know, there's tons of things to get involved in. We had like a lot of different organizations and clubs, just like US schools had tons of opportunity for community service and outreach and things like that. I was very, very involved with things like that on the island. Another thing that I loved about the island is that you are excluded from everyone. Um, So I loved that because it allowed time for studying. So we grinded hard and we studied really hard. Um, So the positive thing is that you're left alone to study. The hard thing is, you're stranded away from your family, your friends. Um, I missed a lot of weddings, funerals. I had like five family members pass away while I was in Grenada, Didn't get to go to one of the funerals. Um, So there's a lot of hardships that come with it. There's a lot of great things that come with it. Overall, my experience was very, very good. And I'm very thankful. And I think they prepared me very well for the USMLEs. Um, One thing that people should also know is the expense. It is more expensive to go to St. George's University than it is to go to the majority of the US state schools. So that's definitely something to think about as well. There's a huge stigma, huge stigma about it being harder to get a residency spot, Mm -hmm. which is 100% true. Okay. And so uh, with that residency programs, you usually have to have a higher USMLE step score. Um, You have to have a better application to get into residency. Now, with that being said, My wife and I both coming from St. George's university were able to get over 17 interviews to MedPeds is what I was going into. And she's going into pediatrics. Both of us able to get more than 17 interviews. We only went on, only, we went on 17 of those. I only wanted to go on 10. My wife wanted to make sure. So we ended up going on 17. Uh, And then we were able to couples match at our top choice.
0: So, wow. I love that. So when did you meet your wife?
1: I met her our first year, so it was my second term, um, th- so my second part of my first year and her first part of her first year, uh, and we met 5 a.m. in the gym.
0: What, what was the conversation like?
1: So she says that the conversation went something, okay, so first off, you guys are going to think I'm super crazy, but when I met my wife, it was 5 a.m. in the gym, and I could just see like, the side of her, and she was on an exercise bike. And so I'd been praying for my future wife for quite some time. And I, when I saw Phoebe, I was like, that's the girl I'm going to marry. Never talked to her. Before. Well, I didn't know that I'd talked to her before. She said we'd actually met a couple times before that, but I didn't remember. Uh, <laughs> not a good thing. Um, but anyway, so I went up and started talking to her. And she said that I said uh, something along the lines, hey, do you work out here often? And she said she runs a lot. And I said, well, if you work out with me, I'll run with you. Nice. Uh, I don't know if I believe that because I like hated running, but anyway, so then I left the gym and I called all my friends. I was like, guys, I met this girl. She's so amazing. She's like the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. I'm going to marry her. I know she's the girl that I should marry. And all my friends are like, Tommy, you're stupid. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> um, well, anyway, I had all of them pray for me asking for God to kind of reveal if I should pursue her to date. Um, went to bed that night and I woke up in the morning with a friend request from her. And I kind of took that as a sign that I should pursue her and ask her on a date. We went on a 10 mile run. It crushed me. Um, but anyway, we've been together since then.
0: (laughs) Wow. So you knew pretty early on that she was the one,
1: you know, like I said, people will think I'm crazy, but I knew from the second I, I, well, I say the second I saw her, but I didn't know that I'd seen her like four other times. Okay. The second I realized that I had saw her, um, (laughs) <laughs> then I believed that she was the girl that I should pursue to date. And then through dating, it was just more solidified that she should be the girl that I should marry.
0: Yeah. Amazing. So I am couples matching with my girlfriend. She is awesome. internal, me- internal medicine. I am psychiatry. We are applying for the upcoming cycle. So we are applying starting this September. Okay. And uh, for those of you listening that don't know about the couples match, it is a beast it is essentially you are tying your applications together. Tommy mentioned that he had 17 interviews. That means that he had interviews at the same place as, as his wife, and there's a constant game going on. of One person getting an interview and then trying to get in contact with the residency to get their partner an interview. It's a whole game. Um, it can be very stressful, and if, if you fail and the couple's match doesn't work, it can be catastrophic. Uh, in the sense that one person can match in Seattle and the other could match in Florida. So that's the game you play with couples match. I'm wondering if you could share with us a little bit about your experience couples matching because I'm about to go through it and uh, we're prepared, but we're scared.
1: Yeah, for sure. And... So there is a lot of information about the couples match and a lot of people treat it as this very scary thing and for good reason because there are people that get separated from their loved ones during the couples match. But I would encourage you guys to not think of it as a negative thing, really enjoy the process. And why is because during the couples match, you're kind of fighting for one another, right? Like you're obviously in love with your significant other and you think that they're the most amazing thing in the world. And they think you're the most amazing thing in the world. And you want these programs to think you're both the most amazing things in the world. And so I, you know, Phoebe and I, like I said, we had well over 20 something interviews. And so say if I got an interview somewhere that she did not, Um, then, or she got an interview somewhere where I did not. Well, then I would call, I would message the program and say, Hey, look, my wife is applying to pediatrics and she didn't get an interview here, but really there's no way that I'm going to interview unless she gets an interview. And not only that. She she deserves an interview because of X, Y, and Z. She's like the best thing since sliced bread. Why in the world are you guys not interviewing her? You know, and so that's kind of like how we approached it. And we were able to pull for one another and get all these same interviews. And just some tips is Phoebe and I only interviewed at places that we um got an interview at together. Okay, so we we knew for sure that we wanted to be together, regardless of what that meant. Okay. So it was more important for us to be together than um to Honestly, not. I wouldn't say match, but most important thing was for us to be together. So a lot of the way, ways that you can play that out is interviewed all the same places the best that you can. So we interviewed at 17 places, all the same places. So when we made our match list, one through 17 was all at the exact same locations. Okay. And then 18 on our match list would have been the two locations that were the closest to one another. Okay, so if people are interested in the East Coast, that's pretty fortunate because a lot of programs, say like New York City, you could be in ten different programs within a twenty-minute train ride from one another, right? And so you could still get very close to one another um, by doing it that way. So then, all down your list would be the programs that are the closest to one another. Then, at the very end, at the very very end, if you would rather match one of you match, um, then you guys be together. Then you'd put say like Jake at. Arkansas and your significant other going unmatched Jake at so-and-so going unmatched Jake and so so going somewhere your significant other going unmatched. And then on the flip side, you do the exact same thing later on down the list. And so that's what we did. And when we finished, we had like 400 and something different options of matching. Wow. So the process can be stressful, but I would encourage you to be extremely positive about the process and enjoy it. Um, try to go on as many interviews together as you can and use those as opportunities to go on um, dates together or explore different cities together yeah. and just let this be a very joyous time. And then when it comes to making your match list, that's the most stressful, tr- stressful part because you actually have to write it all out and put it into a computer system. So it takes a lot of time. But then when the match results come out, again, I want you to reflect back on what I said earlier in the podcast and that everything happens for a reason. And I'm saying this from a very easy viewpoint because my beautiful wife and I match together. So it makes it very easy for me to say this. And long distance would definitely be very challenging. But remember that everything happens for a reason. And for if some reason, you and your significant other ended up matched at different locations. Even though I could not imagine how hard that would be, again, because that did not happen to us, I would hope that I could find the energy and the outlook to rejoice in that Knowing that this plan, even though I didn't agree with it, for some reason it was meant to be, and that the struggles and the hurdles and the obstacles that we have to fight through together as a couple to make it through the next three or four years, that it will all work together for our good and that there's a reason that it happened. So rejoice in those hardships, know that they're going to create in you amazing things for the future that who knows why you need to go through that right now, but it is for a very important purpose later on. Hmm.
0: I love your positivity, Dr. Ty Martin. You are the most positive person I think I've ever met. I love
1: (laughs) (laughs) it. thank you, Jay.
0: So we only have a couple couple minutes here, and then we're going to jump on Instagram Live, so I'm super excited about that. Let me ask you two more questions. Let's do it. Number one, let's chat TikTok. Why did you start a TikTok, and what has it been like? As of this recording, you have 274,000 followers on TikTok. That must be really cool to share your advice and your stories to that many people. Why did you start TikTok and what has that experience been like?
1: Yeah, for sure. So social media in general, I started a couple of years ago, mainly because my wife, uh, at St. George University, I would meet with countless students every single day. And a lot of it was answering the same questions, like how to study, how to do well in, in medical school, things like that, um, how to work out th- and just things like that. And so my, Phoebe said, Tommy why don't you create social media accounts to answer all these questions so you're not setting out hours upon hours of your day meeting with people and you could just talk to ma- like mass amounts of people. And I said, Hey, that's a great idea. So I started a YouTube channel, Instagram, um, and I already had a Facebook. And so throughout that time, those just kind of continued to grow. Nothing like TikTok has, but then TikTok came into the picture. I think I started in October of this past year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know, eight months ago or so. And why I started was because of Gary Vee. And if you guys do not know him, you Same should. Same reason why I started. Yeah. So he's like one of the biggest entrepreneurs and he was talking about how it's the fastest growing network right now and the organic reach of it is insane. And for me, I thought what is the best way that I could help the most amount of people reach the most amount of people and share my faith with the most amount of people. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it. So for a week straight, I watched a lot of videos saw how people were making TikTok videos before I made any of them. And then I was like, I'm making one. So I made one and within um, 24 hours, it had 500,000 views. And I was like, no way. This is (laughs) nuts. Uh, So then after that, uh, I just decided to go with it. And I, you know, even when I first started social media, I made a deal with myself that if it helps one person, I'll continue to do it. I don't care if every video I ever make gets one view, if it helps one person, I'll continue to do it. And so I've been going, doing that with TikTok. TikTok kind of blew up really quickly. Um, It has 200, like Jake said, I have 270 something thousand followers. Uh, But with that, I would caution you with that kind of following and with social media in general, you have a great responsibility, okay? And being medical professionals, you need to be very, very, very careful about what you post and make sure it's 100% accurate. Try to take it from every angle that you possibly can. Try to stay away from controversial issues um, that could get you in trouble. So just be very, very careful with social media in general and make sure you abide by your institution's policies on that. So TikTok has been an incredible experience. It's been so much fun. And I've been very thankful to meet with so many people, including Jake.
0: Absolutely. I agree. TikTok has been a trip. And,
1: uh, and like, so- you never know what's going to take off, right? Like, you never
0: know. You
1: I spend two know. hours on it. I spend an hour on a video hundred views. Yeah. I spent two seconds on a video, 5 million. Uh, but again, I say that just so that you guys aren't discouraged with it, but just again, views do not matter. Um, of course, like our ego and we want tons mm-hmm. of followers and we want tons of views and we want everyone to love our content and we want TikTok to make it skyrocket and go nuts. But again, at the end of the day, what matters is helping people, serving people. So if your video has 10 views and you get five messages of how it helped people or in comparison, if you have a million views and you only get one message about how that video helped people, the one with 10 views was much more important than the one with a million.
0: Absolutely agree. So final question here, sort of not even so much a question. Final words from you and maybe advice you'd have for anyone that is pre-med, that is in medical school, that maybe things aren't working out for them, they've been denied, you know, low scores. uh, They're they're facing a, a barrier that they have to break through and they're questioning whether it's worth it or not. Any final words from you?
1: Of course. Uh, So for all the medical students, just know that you're not alone in this journey, that we all face struggles. We all face hardships and it is part of the journey. And at times it will seem like it is not worth it. And when you are in the grind, when you're in the trenches and you feel like giving up, what I want you to do is fix your eyes on your future goal. Okay. And your future goal is not Receiving the credentials of an MD behind your name, although it feels great having those. Your future goal and why I hope that you became a doctor is to be at the bedside with your patients. Because what makes it worth it isn't having that white coat, isn't the credentials, but it's being at the bedside and holding the hand of a patient and them telling you that you made a difference in their life. It's being at the bedside when you just cured someone of cancer and you get to hear them ring that bell. It's being at the bedside with weeping and mourning family members of a patient that just lost um, their life and their loved ones are just mourning and you get to comfort them and you you get to be there for them and then they invite you to the wake or to their funeral. It's moments like that that makes being in the trenches and being in the grind, going hours without even seeing a patient because you're just looking at books right now, it makes all of that so worth it. So fix your eyes upon the future glory that you're going to get to experience as a doctor and let that be your motivation moving forward every single day. And it's moments like that the bedside of a patient, those magic moments with patients that makes burnout burnout completely. Because when you're working for the love of your future patients and those experiences you're going to have, you could endure so much suffering, so much hardship because of your love for your future patients and not the credentials or the white coat.
0: Well said. Dr. Tommy Martin, thank you so much for joining me. I've had a blast. I really appreciate you joining us on this, on this first episode of Destination Healthcare.
1: Of course. I hope we started off with a bang. And again, it's such an honor to be on the uh, podcast. Thank you so much.
0: Of course. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you made it this far, then hopefully you enjoyed it. If you wouldn't mind, please consider clicking that subscribe button so you'll know when the next episode is out. Today's episode, and every episode, is produced by my friend, James Gillespie. Reach out to him for all of your podcast needs by email through james at jamesgillespie.online. The spelling of Gillespie will be in the podcast description.